You may open your Bibles with me to Romans chapter 15. The ensign of the Lord Jesus Christ has been planted in this meeting house, and we are here to worship Him this day and to delight in Him and praise Him as His Gentile children. I am so thankful to be a member of a congregation that sings with the understanding and with the Spirit. Rivers of waters run down my eyes at thinking of how many have a form of godliness but deny the power thereof. Last evening, watching the coronation of Queen Elizabeth in 1953, watching the marriage of Prince William and Catherine just a few years ago, seeing the heads of state of my father's nation come together in all the regalia, do their office in the great church of the nation, Westminster Abbey, to have Prince William and Catherine meet at the front and immediately have the assembly with 99% of them singing, saying, Guide me, O thou great Jehovah. Pilgrim through this barren land. I am weak, but thou art strong. Feed me the bread of heaven from your heavenly hand. I'm thankful that there are millions of Muslims that live in England, and they have to witness that nation still holding some of the vestiges of its history, singing, Guide me, O thou great Jehovah. Because Jehovah has no peers, no competitors, and he has no use for Allah. And I enjoyed it, even though they didn't know what they were singing, except for a small remnant among them. They have a form of godliness, but they deny the power thereof because we live in the perilous times of the last days. And we don't need the rich and the upper class and royalty in Westminster Abbey to convince us of the truth nor to comfort our souls. I just rejoice that there are still some vestiges of humility before God to sing praise to His name and to crown Him with many crowns. But we're in the house of God that's greater than Westminster Abbey. God, through the Lord Jesus Christ, took the candlestick away from that place many generations ago. And we have it here. And the Lord Jesus Christ is among us. He walks among his golden candlesticks. He is the Lord of glory. He's the prince of the kings of the earth. He's the only high priest that we will ever need. When I see a priest, I get so nauseated and sick. When I saw the priests of the Church of England, they make me sick. There's only one high priest. And the rest of the priesthood doesn't wear garments other than the things that you're wearing this morning. Because Jesus Christ, the King, has made all of you kings and priests. And so I'm in an assembly greater than Westminster Abbey, filled with kings and priests. And with the Lord Jesus Christ, the apostle and high priest of our profession here, and we sang with the understanding, crown him with many crowns. And hallelujah. Amen. Verse 12 of Romans 15. There shall be a root of Jesse, and he that shall rise to reign over the Gentiles, in him shall the Gentiles trust. 
That is Paul's inspired version of Isaiah 11 and verse 10. There shall be a root of Jesse. This is the Lord Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Jesse. And he'll rise to reign over the Gentiles. And it makes me sick to encounter those, and it is the majority of those who call themselves conservative Christians today, that deny that the Lord Jesus Christ is king and sitting upon his throne and wielding the authority and rod of David. Contrary to the word of God from beginning to end of the New Testament that enlightens us about the matter. They cannot and should not sing, crown him with many crowns, the lamb upon his throne, because they don't believe that he has the throne of David yet. I esteem all thy precepts concerning all things to be right, and I hate every false way. And one of the false ways I hate is their detraction of the Lord Jesus Christ and keeping him off his throne. I have a brother, and you have a brother named John Baptist, as the Savior called him on one occasion, who appeared in the wilderness of Judea, and his message was, the time is fulfilled, the kingdom of heaven is at hand. The law and the prophets were until John. Since that time, the kingdom of God is preached and every man presseth into it. It's hard to press into something that's not there. And those weren't Gentiles pressing into it under the ministry of John the Baptist. Those were Jews. I despise dispensationalists. I hate premillennialists and their isms. I hate every false way associated with them. They nauseate me. They blaspheme the Lord Jesus Christ. They steal from him the regal honor and glory that he deserves. He's the root of Jesse. He has risen 2,000 years ago to reign over the Gentiles. He came to his temple. The desire of all nations came and shook the heavens and the earth. And the temporal things all floated away like dust and so much dirt from a rug that you would shake outside your front door. And those things were everything to do with the ceremonial worship of the Jews. It all floated away. And what was left was a kingdom that shall never be replaced. The kingdom of the Lord Jesus Christ. Hebrews chapter 12 declares all of it plainly to us. And so I'm thankful. And this 12th verse lights me up. And it should light you up. That we have a king. And he's reigning. And he's on his throne. And he has the key of David. And when he opens, no man shuts. And when he shuts, no man opens. And he's not waiting for glory. He has glory. He is at the right hand of God. He rules the universe. He is the prince of the kings of the earth. He is the king of kings. He is the Lord of lords. And he's reigning right now. And the earth is his footstool. And I hope you love him. Now let's look at verse 13 and go as far as we can in a reasonable amount of time. And I thank you for your kind attention in the last couple of weeks as we have had two long assemblies. I know and the Lord knows and I thank you for your kind attention and patience. But let's give this 13th verse an opportunity by the Spirit of God to convict us and convert us and teach us about the importance of our unity in the Lord Jesus Christ. I have planted a standard in the meeting house this morning of the Lord Jesus Christ. And the king of our army demands that every one of the soldiers get along and love each other and be full of joy, peace, and righteousness in the Holy Ghost. And there is no place for anyone else. Some of you sad sacks come in here because you are so childish and so moody, hanging around and dragging around. You've never met the Lord Jesus Christ. There is no spark of eternal life in you. 
Because if you knew the Lord Jesus Christ, you would come in here thankful, happy, rejoicing, full of peace, provoking one another, encouraging one another, singing at the top of your lungs, because this is the greatest privilege you'll ever have in life and eternity. And the Savior wants us to be full of righteousness, peace and joy, and hope in the Holy Ghost. This is not an intellectual exercise. I fear all of those of you that are going to school and going through the ridiculous exercise of the training for your professions. And yes, I mean what I just said. You will seldom use what you are learning right now later. You will learn more on the job than you will ever learn in the classroom. You are just getting a bill of goods in order to be able to get into the profession. You're getting the ticket to be able to play in the major leagues. That's why you're going to school. But I fear... While you're going to school, and this, my point is not to talk about your education. My point is to talk about the fear of any of us going through a verse like this as an intellectual exercise to make sure that we can understand the dots on the I's and the crosses on the T's. That we understand the phrases without thinking about the application of it to our lives and without embracing it personally and making it a mandate from the Lord Jesus Christ of the 12th verse to live the 13th verse out in this church. I fear that. Maybe you need an emotional storyteller. I'm not one. Maybe you need a, a weeping and a crying pastor. I'm not always one. I'm seldom one. But I'm going, I'm going to read the Word of God distinctly and I'm going to give you the sense and I'm going to trust the Holy Ghost to make the difference and your faithfulness to humble yourself before this verse. Don't let it be an intellectual exercise that you understand it. I don't want us to understand it only. I want us to understand it, embrace it, practice it, and fulfill it in this church so that the Lord Jesus Christ gets greater honor and glory from our joy, peace, and hope than He does from the way we sang, crown Him with many crowns, the Lamb upon His throne. Singing has its place, but it is subordinate to obedience. Let me read you one verse. That in the grace of God, out of 31,101, is competing for my favorite verse in the Bible. And verse 12, being its introduction, doesn't hurt it. Verse 13 of Romans 15. Now, the God of hope, fill you with all joy and peace in believing that ye may abound in hope through the power of the Holy Ghost. Amen and amen. Amen. Now, we have another now. Remember back there in verse 8? Now I say from last Lord's Day, Because Paul is wrapping up his discussion of Christian liberty and the division that was among the Jews and the Gentiles in the church at Rome. Let me point out very briefly that there are 30 verses from 14.1 to 15.7. In those 30 verses, he did not mention Jews. He did not mention Gentiles. He mentioned meat and drink and days. He mentioned the details of the Christian liberty that was causing this church strife and division. At verse 8 through verse 12... He mentions Jews and Gentiles that both are under the Lord Jesus Christ and Jesus Christ belongs to both. And therefore, if they have a proper view of Christ, the division of them being Gentiles and Jews would disappear. Right. Because verse 8 
is that Jesus Christ was the Jews, and verses 9 through 12 is that Jesus Christ belonged to the Gentiles and they to him. Now he's concluding in this 13th verse with a blessing, a benedictory blessing upon them. If you read the next 48 verses from this 13th verse to the end of the 16th chapter, he is through with his epistle. This is a blessing. He is going to start explaining and blessing them in chapter 16. You know what that is. Greet so-and-so for me. Kiss so-and-so for me. So-and-so has such-and-such a church in their house. He's done. He's going to be explaining the rest of chapter 15, why it had taken him so long to visit the church at Rome, where he'd been, what he'd been doing, and that he was sorry for not having seen them sooner, but that the Lord had been using him in other places, and that when he got to them, he would come in the power of the Holy Ghost, and if they would help him, he would go on into Spain after spending a little bit of profitable time with them. I mean, the epistle's, the epistle's about over right. in, in some respects. Every word of God is pure. And I'm looking forward to all 48. But right now I'm at verse 13 and he is concluding 35 verses about Christian liberty and division. Now I said Christian liberty stopped at verse 7 of Romans 15 and I still believe that as far as dealing with the details. But as far as the underlying division that was in that church between Jews and Gentiles, he dealt with that in verses 8 through 12. I hope you see that. And now he wants to wrap the whole thing up with this verse. Now the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing that ye may abound in hope through the power of the Holy Ghost. What did he say in 14.17 in which we use as the summary for Christian liberty? Romans 14.17 For the kingdom of God I wonder why Paul said for the kingdom of God since it wasn't there then and it wasn't going to be there the next year and it wasn't going to be there the next century and it wasn't going to be there the next millennium. Why did he say, for the kingdom of God? And addressing the Gentiles. Why did he say that? Since the church is just a parenthesis and a recess, and doesn't really matter, when, because God's going to get back to his real business of having his chosen people, the biological descendants of Abraham and Sarah, on their little piece of wasteland at the eastern end of the Mediterranean Sea. Why did he say, now the kingdom of God? You can't read your New Testaments. I want to tell you something about dispensationalists and premillennialists. You ought to see the amount of time that they'll spend in Isaiah 11 drawing pictures of lions lying down with lambs. Anybody ever see a storybook picture of that ridiculous insanity? Taking a metaphor and making it the literal interpretation of Isaiah 11 and missing the ensign of the people. Because that zoo picture is more important to them than the ensign of the people, the Lord Jesus Christ. They make me sick. They nauseate me. It is Jewish fables and commandments of men that turn from the truth. Titus chapter 1 and verse 14. Verse 17 of Romans 14 tells me that the kingdom of God was present during Paul's life and Gentiles were joining Jews in it. We weren't waiting for anything. It was already there 2,000 years ago. For the kingdom of God is not meat and drink. It's not these details that I've been covering, but righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Ghost. And I want you to notice the peace, and I want you to notice the joy, and I want you to notice the Holy Ghost, because when you turn the page, if you need to in your Bible, and you come to verse 13, you can see the joy and the peace and the Holy Ghost. 
So while he described and defined the kingdom of God in Romans 14, 17, in 15, 13, he gives a blessing of encouragement to them that by the power of the Holy Ghost, they are fully capable of having a church that is filled with all joy and peace and abounding in hope. And this verse is to be understood primarily and foremost as a corporate joy and peace and hope as a church because that is what's under consideration here in the context. The individual joy and peace and hope that we get by the power of the Holy Ghost is secondary, though it is still very true. Now the God of hope. Thank you, blessed God. The God of hope. It's the only place it occurs in the Bible. The God of hope. You have heard me over the years emphasize the importance of hope. And He is the God of hope. Hope. What is hope? Hope is the expectation of something desired. That's a simple definition. The expectation of something desired. Desire combined with expectation. You want something and you're planning on getting it. And that is hope. In order to be hope, if you look back just a couple of pages to Romans chapter 8, you can't see it. Because if you see it, that means you've got it. And if you've got it, you can't hope for it. Because hope is for something you don't have yet. Romans chapter, I love the Bible. Do you know if you'll trust the Bible, it'll define things for you in amazing ways. Wonderful ways. Romans 8.24, for we are saved by hope. But hope that is seen is not hope. For what a man seeth, why doth he yet hope for? But if we hope for that we see not, then do we with patience wait for it. Oh, this is the renovations of the heavens and the earth that have been described from verse 17 down through 23. And the great change is going to take place upon this groaning creation that we are part of and that we live amongst. But verses 24 and 25 tell us if you see it, that means you've got it. If you've got it, you can't hope for it. Because hope is for something that you don't have. It is the expectation of something desired. God does not have hope. So when it says, now the God of hope, it's not saying that God is a very hopeful being. Please uh, rejoice in this with me. This is, that may not be, Lord make it good to them all. When it says, now the God of hope, it's not that God is going to give us a demonstration of the greatest hope in the universe. He is the source of our hope. He is the basis of our hope. He is the object of our hope. He he is the certainty of our hope. But He doesn't hope. Because He doesn't have a desire or want or expecting anything because everything to God is already in the past tense. Is that true or not? If everything is already in the past tense, then that means He already has it, already sees it, And if you already have it and you already see it, then can you hope for it? No, he can't be the God of hope. Can we prove that from a Bible? Courtney? Yes, we can. Look at Romans chapter 4. Romans chapter 4. Parents, she had such a smile on her face about the God of hope that she deserved me to mention her. She wasn't sleeping. Romans chapter 4. And verse 17, you know it well, but I want you to remind, I want to remind you of these verses in light of the words of Romans 15, 13, now the God of hope. As it is written, I have made thee a father of many nations. Amazing statement. Oh, 
That's a sermon of it in itself. As it is written, I have made thee from Genesis chapter 17 and verse 5. And there are several expressions in Genesis chapter 17, the first few verses. Some of them are in the future tense and one is in the past, is in the present perfect. Which one do you think Paul pulled forward? He pulled the one that was in the present perfect, meaning an action taking place in the past that's still true in the present. As it is written, I have made, I have made. You're already a father of many nations before him whom he believed, even God who quickeneth the dead and calleth those things which be not as though they were. Because he didn't have his son yet. God can call those things which be not as though they were. So the things that have not yet taken place, they're already past tense to Him. You say, that's the only place in the Bible, though, when you've taught us in the mouth of two or three words or witnesses, let every word be established. Okay, Romans chapter 8. I like that rule. That way we don't go running too far with one single passage of Scripture contrary to the rest of the Bible. Romans chapter 8 and verse 30. Moreover, whom He did predestinate, is that past, present, future? It's predestinated. He did predestinate. Then he also called. And whom he called, then he also justified. Are we past tense so far? Predestinated, called, and justified? And whom he justified, then he also glorified. Past tense. Has anyone been glorified yet except the Lord Jesus Christ? No. Their glorification is all future. But God can call those things which be not as though they were because who cares about verb tenses when you're the Almighty? So now the God of hope, God doesn't hope for things. They're all real to Him. They're all present to Him. They're already in His possession. They're already past tense. He sees them already. And so He doesn't hope. But I just mentioned to you the ways in which He is the God of hope. He's the source of our hope. He's the basis of our hope. He's the certainty of our hope and He's the object of our hope. Lord, help them all see that and the glory in it. Let the world worship their God. Their God is the God of this world. Do you know the Bible says that? That the devil is the God of this world? His name is Abaddon and Apollyon, which I presented to you two and a half weeks ago. There is no hope, and he denies all hope. What is his future? And he knows his future. To be tormented forever. When they saw the Lord Jesus Christ on earth, and the Lord Jesus Christ would meet one of their possessed human temples for the possession of the devil... They would fall at His feet and worship Him. And say, we know who Thou art. Thou art the Holy One of God. Art Thou come to torment us before the time? That's their hope. Rejoice in that, brethren. The Lord's made such a difference. Those angels deserve more than we do. They're greater in power and might than we are. And greater in glory than we are. But they have the future hope of eternal torment in the lake of fire, which was made for them. And we'll be with the Lord, and we'll be with the Lord forever. Satan has been a destroyer from the beginning. It's his proud rebellion that brought certain torment upon him. The devils know exactly what is coming, and it is not annihilation, is it? Did the devils fall at the feet of the Lord Jesus Christ and say, Art thou come to annihilate us before the time? Annihilation is no torment. If I could preach there was no hell, I'd preach it right now. But I can't preach there is no hell. Because the Bible says there is a burning hell. And that burning hell is a place of torment forever and ever. And the smoke of their torment ascends up forever and ever. That is not annihilation. They know that it's not annihilation. It's too bad that these make-believe Christians today, 
think that it's annihilation or that everyone's going to be saved so that there is no reason to preach hell because there is no hell, in their opinion. The world follows the prince of the power of the air, and he is totally dedicated to their destruction. There is no hope following the devil. If you look in scripture, if you look in history, if you look at current events, those that give place to the devil are wretchedly miserable. But he's the God of hope. Our God is the God of hope. Do you know how little hope there was for the mother of a child when either Israel or the pagan nations around Israel was practicing child sacrifice? Did you see the young mother holding the child in the slides that I presented on Wednesday evening before Molech? Ready to hand that little baby to the priest to have it tossed into the waiting arms of that colossal fire and be burned up, passing their seed through the fire. When you find that expression in the Bible, they pass their seed through the fire. They pass their seed through the fire. They burned up their children. That's the God of hopelessness. That's the God of this world. That's the devil. That's Abaddon. That's Apollyon. Don't give him any place in your life. Every every inch, every centimeter that you give the devil in your life is going to take down your hope and leave you hopeless and cause you frustration and misery in your life that is unnecessary because he's the God of hope that we worship. Everything, everything can be unbelievably better in minutes if you would do things his way because he's the God of hope. You say, well, what about the hour of my death? Well, that's the biggest moment of hope you're ever going to have in your life if you had your thinking cap on instead of being delusionary like the rest of this world, that's that's the moment you're waiting for because that's the biggest explosion of hope you're ever going to see. Because all of a sudden you're going to see eternity opened up before you of things that Paul wasn't even allowed to utter in 2 Corinthians chapter 12. One of the world, one of the worst aspects, one of the worst aspects of worldly entertainment that's bothered me for decades is their lack of hope. You know, in my lifetime of a number of decades now, to get to the end of a worldly movie, a worldly movie that we can justify, if there's, you know, how many of those there are is very few, but a worldly movie, you get to the end of it, and the little tiny things that might bother a lot of people, I'm not really, that's not really an issue to me as much as How in the world can somebody sit and choose to watch a form of entertainment for two hours that has no hope in it? You say, well, I can't think of a movie. Well, then think of Braveheart. Where's the hope? What a wasted cause to die for. Screaming freedom. What are you talking about? Scotland's Scotland still is a little tiny runt baby next to England. England does whatever they want with them. What a wasted life. And the whole life, though it had sin after sin after sin after sin after sin, glorified and it's hopeless. Everything that comes out of Hollywood is hopeless. Everything that comes out of Hollywood is hopeless. There is nothing in Hollywood that is building you up toward the God of hope. It is all the God of this world and it's tearing down your hope and leaving you hopeless. And that is why the world spends all their time in dysfunctional living, divorce courts, 
drug rehabilitation and drunkenness because they're trying to cope with their hopelessness and there is no peace, saith my God to the wicked. That has, in, in dealing with young people, in knowing what I was like as a teenager out of fellowship with the Lord, one of the biggest problems for youth, and I don't care if you're 15 or 25, you're still youth, is the lack of hope. And why, why are you lacking in hope? Our God is the God of hope. Amen. And this verse is going to teach us that you can abound in hope, not just have hope, you can be overwhelmingly buried in hope. Because God is the God of reversal of fortune, whether it be a person or it be a church. He can bless and turn everything around. It's all in Romans 15, 13 of the God of hope. Worldly entertainment, no matter how many retakes they do, and no matter the cinema expertise, no matter the surround sound system, is hopeless. Because it's the only form of entertainment the devil knows. He's hopeless, and he wants to sell you on hopelessness so that you cannot please the God of hope. Because remember, God isn't hoping himself. God is the source, the object, the certainty, and the basis for hope. And so as he makes you hopeless by you listening to their stinking music and by you watching their stinking entertainment, you have your hope stolen. Then you get frustrated, delusionary, lonely, irritated, unhappy, and life's horrible because you let the world entertain you instead of the Word of God. I wanted to come in here this morning with some of my grand swords. I was going to have a watermelon up here in front, and I was going to cleave it and blow seeds and juice everywhere in this assembly. Sherry said the seven-year-olds will never forget it. (laughs) You say, well, what were you thinking crazy thoughts like that for? Because of Romans 15, 12 and Isaiah eleven ten, I wanted to try to impress you with a little visual aids about the glory of the Lord Jesus Christ and to think of him as the captain of our salvation, right. the prince of the kings of the earth and the ensign of the people. I'm still looking for something to arrive in my inbox from some creative soul that's going to create a coat of arms in their spare time, of course, with a few jewels about the Lord Jesus. How much do you love the Lord Jesus Christ? I was the most hopeless teenager in the history of the world. No one else could have had greater grief and bitterness about life than I did. Of course they could have, but you know what I mean. That's what I was. I would sit and stare out the window unhappier than anyone else on earth. A 455 cubic inch, four-speed, 433 rear end, Ram Air, functional hood, GTO sat in the driveway, Kawasaki 500, fastest quarter-mile stock motorcycle available then in the garage, voted most all around in my school, the unhappiest person on earth. Why? Because I was living in sin. I was living in rebellion against my Father. Rebellion against the Lord Jesus Christ. 
And I'm so thankful at 56 to know the God of hope. And I've known him for a long time. And I want you to love him and to know him. And I want this church to have their God be the God of hope. And, and what he can fill you with. Our God, the Lord Jehovah, is the God of hope. Nothing is ever hopeless to those trusting in him, whether it's individually or as a church. I want you to notice, and I'm, I'm going to say this a few times before this day is over. Do you know that there is a condition for this verse? Do you see that condition in this verse? It talks about the power of the Holy Ghost. It talks about God being the God of hope. It talks about God filling you with all. That God is able to make you abound in hope. But is there a condition in it? Believing. And what are you supposed to believe? If you, tr if you remember that we're a slave to context, what are we supposed to believe? What just went before in the five verses leading up to this verse. Right. The Lord Jesus Christ. By God's, by God's grace, I wish I could have had all of you the last couple of Saturday nights with me because I was out of my mind. With joy and excitement, my poor wife, you know, last week it was screaming, now I say, and it was screaming and, because it was the Jews and Gentiles benefiting from the Lord Jesus Christ. Right. And last night it was just planting a standard outside my pavilion. And don't you make fun of my pavilion. Have you ever memorized Psalm 27 and verse 5? In the time of trouble, yes. where will God hide you? In his pavilion. Right. What's a pavilion? I've taught you, don't, don't sit there and look like you don't know. It's his big tent in the center of an army. Yes. And he's the Lord of hosts. So there's two and four man tents in every direction as far as I can see over rolling hills in the distant, in the far distance. I can see all these tents in every direction, 360 degrees, and there's this massive tent in the middle that has torches inside it. Do you know how big a torch has to be? I mean, how big a tent has to be in order for you to have torches inside and not burn the top of your tent off? That's the pavilion. So there's this light glowing from the center of the camp. All the other tents have the little campfire outside. The tents are filled with what in God's picture that he gives us in the Bible? His mighty angels because he's the Lord of hosts. But inside that tent, called a pavilion, the king's tent, pennants flying from the top, outside that pavilion is the royal standard of the seed of David, the Lord Jesus Christ. And do you know where I am? Do you know what it says that you can be, where you can be according to Psalm 27 and verse 5? Not only in his pavilion with him, but in the secret compartment of his pavilion. I don't care that I'm getting behind on Romans 15. Just come to Psalm 27 so that I can show you this. I want you to love the words, the ensign of the people. I want you to love the words about the root of Jesse rising to reign over the Gentiles. He's our king. We have a glorious king that we get to serve every day in everything we do. We get to serve it if we're a wife by loving our husbands. We get to serve it if we're a husband by loving our wives. We get to serve it as church members by making sure this church is filled with righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Ghost. 
Psalm 27 and verse 5, For in the time of trouble he shall hide me in his pavilion. Okay, now do you believe it? Am I okay in what I'm describing to you? Am I making up fairy tales? For in the time of trouble he shall hide me in his pavilion. Now look it. In the secret of his tabernacle shall he hide me. What's the word tabernacle mean? It, a four-letter word. Tent. It's still talking about the same thing, isn't it? Under a different word. What was the big tent called that, where it had the Holy of Holies? It was called the tabernacle. the tabernacle. Okay, Big tent, tabernacle, pavilion. In the secret of his tabernacle shall he hide me. He shall set me up upon a rock. Does that sound pretty hopeful? I don't care how... But notice, it's a time of trouble. In the time of trouble, is there hope with the Lord? Can He take you into His pavilion? Do you love His pavilion? Do you look for His pavilion? Do you love the standard outside? Do you just stand there staring at the standard and seeing all the glories of the Lord Jesus Christ and seeing the great mystery of godliness? And then He comes out and He says, Fear not. And He takes you by the hand. Come on in. The Lord of glory. While I stand there and I look at the standard, I look at the coat of arms, the virgin-born Son of God, and I look closely at the picture. And He's levitating off the earth because He ascended up into heaven. The last expression of 1 Timothy 3.16. This is my Savior and this is your Savior, and He's the Son of the God of hope. Turn Turn over the pages to chapter 31. Psalm 31. David's in trouble and he needs help. Look what he says in verse 19. Let's get 19 in addition. Oh, how great is thy goodness, which thou hast laid up for them that fear thee, which thou hast wrought for them that trust in thee, before the sons of men, exclamation point. Oh, how great is thy goodness. For who? What kind of people? That fear thee and trust in thee. That's in believing. Of Romans 15, 13. Now look at that 20th verse. Thou shalt hide them in the secret of thy presence from the pride of man. Thou shalt keep them secretly in a pavilion from the strife of tongues. When you've got enemies that are railing against you, you can be kept from the strife of their tongues, the fighting and cutting of their tongues in the pavilion of the Most High. In the secret of His presence. Okay, back to Romans 15. I just want you to know what you should be believing in to be filled with joy and peace and hope. And I'm telling you, what kind of an army do you think or what kind of opposition? Do you have some problem in your life? Is it financial? Is it physical? Is it uh, family? What kind of problem do you have in your life that this prince of the kings of the earth that has taken you into the secret part of his pavilion can't dispose of with a single word of command? I know a centurion that believed it. Can you think of a centurion that knew about the pavilion of God? He said, Lord, I'm not worthy to have you under my roof. Just speak the word, my servant shall be whole. Because I'm a man under authority. And I say to those under me, go, and he goes. Why don't you just say the word, heal, and he'll be healed. Jesus said, I haven't seen such great faith in all of Israel. Do you know what I'm trying to build in you right now? Do you want me to tell you? If there's a method to my madness, I want you to have faith greater than Israel. That you worship a king, the Lord Jesus Christ, and he takes you into the secret of his pavilion, and he is the God of hope. 
I'll show you how much Paul believed it. Look at 1 Timothy chapter 1. 1 Timothy chapter 1. Verse 1. Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ by the commandment of God our Savior and Lord Jesus Christ, which is our hope, joint heirs with the Lord Jesus Christ. In Revelation 19, I see him on his white horse, and I see me on a white horse right behind him, and I see everyone else who loves him on a white horse right behind him. Don't ever forget that. Joint heirs with the Lord Jesus Christ. He is our hope. He is my hope. He's the God of hope. Lack of wisdom steals hope when you do not know what to do. But Jehovah always knows. And the Lord Jesus Christ always knows because in him are hid all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. Did a king of Israel once say, we know not what to do? How did that battle go? Since they didn't know what to do. A glorious victory. Because he's the God of hope. And he can reverse every situation and make it glorious. It's a, a lack of power steals hope when you know what to do, but you can't get it done. You can't do it. But Jehovah is omnipotent. The Apostle Paul could say, I can do all things through Christ which strengtheneth me. He's the God of hope. You all have the power to do everything that God wants you to do. Lack of change steals hope. If things continue on for a long time, you can't imagine things getting better. But Jehovah can make changes. He's very good at those changes. And you ought to seek to the God of hope. Now the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace. This is certainly available, and it's sure upon the condition, and the condition is believing. And the condition is believing in the Lord Jesus Christ. And the condition is affection toward the Lord Jesus Christ. And the condition is trusting in Him. And His rest is glorious. And it's delighting in Him. And it's being fascinated by Him. Are you fascinated by the Lord Jesus Christ? I'm fascinated by everything that could be put on a coat of arms for the Lord Jesus Christ of Nazareth. No other king has ever been able to put the things on a coat of arms that could be put on the coat of arms of the Lord Jesus Christ. The gospel message contains so many little... Have you ever looked at a detailed coat of arms of royalty? There are little tiny pieces on that coat of arms that represent important events in the life or the ancestry of that king. And I've mentioned some of them to you, and every one of them is a delight. You know, you see that little V hanging there by itself. Therefore, the Lord himself shall give you a sign. Behold, a virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and thou shalt call his name Emmanuel. I guess there should be an I too, right? Emmanuel. But if we put letters there for every name of Jesus Christ in the... Well, we don't want alphabet soup on a coat of arms are you fascinated by the Lord Jesus Christ the God of hope can fill you with all joy and peace if you're fascinated loving him trusting in him running to him praising him lauding him blessing him and singing to him like is described in the context of this verse in believing believing what Believing the doctrine of election? Oh, we'll allow you a second or two to believe in the doctrine of election, but we want to understand that election has no meaning outside of the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. If you were an elected and chose in the Lord Jesus Christ, your election means nothing. Right. It's all The Lord Jesus Christ is all in all. Amen. 
And if you'll make Him all in all, if you'll make Him all in all in your songs, make Him all in all in your thoughts, make Him all in all in your speech, God is able easily to fill you with all joy and peace. There's no limit to God's will or power to grant joy and peace, but it's lack of faith that forfeits both. Do not lightly read and presume upon this text without noticing that condition of believing. Have you, been, have you been believing on the Lord Jesus Christ like you should have? You know, I have emails from most of you that over the years you've written me at times where you were in love with the Lord Jesus Christ and you're just pouring it out with your fingertips on a keyboard. Is that true right now? What do you need to stir you up? Does Isaiah 11 and 10 do it? Does Romans 15, 12 do it? Where do you want to go in the Word of God to find the Lord Jesus Christ and to delight in Him again because He can fill you with how much? With all joy. Fill all. Fill all. Fill all. Fill all. I mean, that's just all that you can handle. Amen. Joy and peace. Do you know what the Bible says about what the measure when God measures something out? Yeah. It's past knowledge. It's past comprehension. Be careful for nothing. How's that for a peaceful life of hope? Be careful for nothing. That means don't be anxious or worried about anything. Be careful for nothing, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known unto God, and the peace of God, which passeth understanding. It's incomprehensible how I can have so much peace because my life is falling apart around me and I am just basking in peace. That was the Apostle Paul in prison in Philippi, singing praise to God. Was there a God of hope in Paul's case? Did anything happen? Was there an amen put to that song that they sang? Was the amen a... What kind of an earthquake is described in Acts 16? A a little itty-bitty one? Or was there a great earthquake? Did it open all the doors and break off all, all the chains? Manacles that were on every prisoner. What a reversal of fortune. Did the magistrates have to come begging, pleading, softly and tenderly, pleading with Paul that he might leave the city of Philippi? Did that jailer that had thrown them there take them home and wash their stripes? Did he feed them? Did he believe with his whole house? Did he get to baptize the jailer that night? Is that a decent reversal of fortune? It's the God of hope. Fill you with all joy and peace in believing. Because God is infinite and you're finite, it's easy for him to grant you things beyond measure. You say, well, I just haven't experienced very much of that in my life. I would say to you then that you're short on faith and you ought to stir it up. Don't read your Bible just to click a a box off on a chart. Read your Bible to find the Lord Jesus Christ. You say, could I read Isaiah 11 all week and write you every day with a question from whatever verses I run it? Yeah. Read Isaiah 11 all week. I got something better for you. Read Isaiah 11.10 all week. You say, do you shorten your reading programs up like that? Some? Oh, yes. Why would I want to read all of Isaiah 11 when verse 10 alone is feeding my soul? Right. I, want to, I want to plumb its depths. I want to roll it around in my mouth. I want to enjoy every bit of it. I want to look at every facet of it. I want to find out what an ensign is. I want to run out to my wife and go, oh! and plant an ensign. 
I wanted to pull out my tapestries and swords and shields. I wanted to say, what do you mean by a coat of arms for the Lord Jesus? And I want to start reminding her of all the things that he would have on his. And this is for a church. This verse is for a church. For 35 verses, the Apostle Paul had to deal with a church that was fussing over little things like some that have crept in among us have fussed over. And do you know what? The more we get our eyes and attention, affection and fascination on the Lord Jesus Christ, the lint on suits disappears. You know, when you're about to have the biggest interview of your life with the Lord Jesus Christ, you really don't care that there's lint on your suit. By lint on your suit, I'm referring to matters of Christian liberty. They're nothing in comparison. And so the apostle is making an appeal to this church and a blessing and a benediction as he wraps it up in these two verses, 13 and 14. He wraps it up this way by saying, Now the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing. If you Jews, he was the minister of the circumcision, to confirm the truth, no, uh, for the truth of God, to confirm the promises made to the fathers, in verse 12, and if you Gentiles will praise him like you should, I mean, in verse 8, and if you Gentiles will praise him like you should, in verses 9 through 12, he's able to fill you with all joy and peace in believing, and you'll be abounding in hope. This church will be looking forward and upward only. It will, you know what Christian liberty is? It's looking downward and backward. Right. It's Jews fussing about the old covenant. It's you fussing about some ridiculous thing you've heard in the past or something that your grandma did that you want to enforce on somebody else in the church. It's looking back and it's looking down. Christ is always looking forward and looking up. And those that have come among us that had their little agenda of the little itty-bitty things down here are looking back and looking down. And if we will all focus on the Lord Jesus Christ, it'll be up and forward and it'll be full of joy, peace, and hope. Amen by the power of the Holy Ghost. But the ingredient for us is, do you love the Lord Jesus Christ? I didn't get very far. You know, I'm still on my first page of six, but I don't care. If at break time you'll love the Lord Jesus Christ, when you go home today you'll love the Lord Jesus Christ. If you'll find some verses about him, you know what we can do with 1 Timothy 3.16, don't you? Without controversy, great is the mystery of godliness. You know what we can do. Oh, there's, there's many verses like that. Find one. Get down on your knees and tell the Lord Jesus Christ how much you love him. Do you believe on him today? Is there anyone here that hasn't believed in the Lord Jesus Christ that he is the Son of God? That he is the Lord of the universe? that he died on the cross for the sins of his people, you can't even start to get into Romans fifteen thirteen, unless your faith in the Lord Jesus Christ is strong right. and you love him and you want to commit your life to him and follow him in obedience in his army, the army of the holy saints of the Most High God, like Michael Slater. May the Lord bless us to that end. Amen.